We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. Brisbane Festival recognises the integral role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples continue to play in the creative and artistic events and celebration spaces and pays respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Beginner's Call takes you backstage with Brisbane Festival and into the hearts, minds and rehearsal rooms of the casts, creators and critics behind Queensland's most anticipated event of the year. For almost 40 years, Dance North Australia has nurtured artists to create and present transformative dance experiences that are infused with people and place. Renowned for its adventurous and genre-bending original dance works, Dance North is one of Australia's largest cultural exports, having headlined almost 50 international arts festivals and venues around the world, all powered from its regional home base in Townsville, North Queensland. Dance North's latest work, Wayfinder, is a post-pandemic celebration of heart, humanity and knitting, staged on an 8 by 8 metre inflatable stage. Here to tell us more about this colourful new work is Artistic Director and Co-CEO, Kyle Page. Welcome, Kyle. Hello, Adam. It's such a delight to connect. How are things up in Townsville today? Things in Townsville are beautiful. The sun is shining. The whales are out in the bay. So we went out yesterday and hung out with some of those beautiful, majestic creatures. And uh, we're spending some really beautiful quality time in the studio preparing to come down to you. Amazing. And time in Brisbane. We are very excited to have Dance North back. Obviously, Dance North is such a staple of Brisbane festival programs every year. This particular work, Wayfinder, is described as an antidote to the fear and anxiety permeating all corners of the globe in the wake of the global pandemic. How did the show come about? Mm, So Amber... Um, my beautiful wife and the co-director of Wayfinder, Amber and I were reflecting upon the experience of the globe, really this COVID kind of era, everyone across the planet has in some way been deeply affected by the pandemic and we really wanted to explore something that was other to that increased sense of isolation, distance, fear, anxiety, kind of lockdowns and border closures. And we wanted to create a work that spoke to these beautiful, enigmatic aspects of the human condition. So things that made us feel good, things that made us feel connected to community, sound that evoked some sense experience within the body that perhaps could not be decoded through the verbal intellect. We spend so much time in our brains And COVID really did more of that, more time on computers, more time reading news articles and listening to the radio and whatnot to see what was happening all around the world. We wanted to remind people of the beautiful aspects of the body when we stop thinking and we start feeling truly wonderful things occur. And the invitation to create this work with beautiful collaborators was born of that desire. So we invited Hiatus Coyote, an incredible band out of Melbourne to compose the sound. We invited Hiromi Tango, who's an exquisite visual artist based on the Tweed, to work with us on really the visual aesthetic and design for the project. We invited Byron Scullin to come in as a sound designer and Byron dreamt up this 
incredibly beautiful sound sculpture that is woven through the fabric of the work. But we also worked with Robert Larson and Nicholas Rue, who were the kind of design, construction and implementation artists working with Byron on the sound sculpture. We collaborated with Nicholas Pajanti, a long-term collaborator of Dance North for the lighting design, and Chloe Greaves, who was the design associate working with Hiromi Tango to realise the visual design and costumes. And I just have to take a moment to really call out the absolutely remarkable dancers that we get to work with here in the studio every day. They are the most talented and extraordinary group of humans, and it's such a pleasure to witness their exquisite talents come alive through the process of making and performing Wayfinder. You mentioned the incredible, dare I say it, all-star creative team that you pulled together for this one. Uh, Three-time Grammy-nominated Melbourne band Hiatus Coyote, as you mentioned. The incredible Japanese-Australian visual artist Hiromi Tango, who Brisbane Festival audiences of 2020 will be very familiar with for her gorgeous rainbow installation at West Village. How did those assembly of artists come to be for this particular work? Mm. It was really an acknowledgement of how much time we spend occupying the kind of cerebral faculties of our being. So what is it to step or sink beneath the brain, beneath that verbal intellectual experience, into something that is embodied, that is sensed, that is felt? Music, of course, does that to us all, but not all music. And we spent a long, long, long time exploring possible collaborators in that sonic space that would excite this um, truly visceral aliveness that kind of got the cells vibrating and expanded our hearts in a way that music can. Like it's such a powerful medium. And a friend of ours had recommended Hiatus Coyote to us. And as soon as we started listening to their sound, we both knew immediately that they were the ones that we needed to connect with. So we got in touch with the band through their manager, Sajay Gould, and they were really interested in the project. They're touring a huge number of projects right across the world. So their time was incredibly limited, but we managed to sneak in at the right time. They were really interested in the project and in the kind of ethos of this project being something anchored to the body, something that reminds us of these incredible kind of faculties we have for connection, non-verbal connection, non-verbal communication. We explored the electromagnetism of the heart and these beautiful modes of communication, subtle energetic awareness and relationship that we have with other individuals and the world around us. So they were incredibly excited by the project. Similarly, the relationship with Hiromi Tango was born of the desire to create a visual world that, again, could allow people to slip beneath that verbal intellectual way of experiencing art. So we can all understand and relate to those moments you go to a theatre, you see it and you have this passive response to the experience and it's very conceptually driven. There are some amazing mm. works, we've made amazing works that really invite that response from an audience. But this was something different. We wanted to bring people into an awareness of their body through incredible visual design on stage, an amazing sonic kind of saturating sound through their experience in the audience. And I had met Hiromi in 2017. So Hiromi and I were both Sydney Meyer fellows in that year. And Hiromi is such a magical human. She really radiates 
love and empathy and care and compassion. And as soon as Amber and I started talking about this project and really wanting to excite those aspects of our being, you know, really exploring what does deep compassion and care and love and connection look like and what does that feel like? And Hiromi just kind of appeared in our minds and in our awareness. And she was so excited about the project and is such a valuable collaborator. We would often find ourselves running away with the most wildly optimistic and outrageous ideas only to find ourselves moderately constrained by budgets and timeframes. But <laughs> it was such a beautiful thing to experience that level of creative openness and possibility that Hiromi brought to the project. I know that those familiar with Hiromi's work will know her for her incredible and explosive use of colour, and in particular, rainbow. And this work uses that in a rather unusual way through the integration of wool. Can you chat us through what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So very early on in the development for the project, Hiromi sent a box of toys, as she called them. So a bunch of random artworks that she gathered up from her studio. And we just began exploring the qualities of these textures that she sent up. One of which were these really beautiful, quite intricate streams of finger knitting. And we started working with those in the studio and it added this extra dimension of not only color, but kind of volume to the dancing body. And the more we explored the use of that finger knitting within the studio, the more we realized that it really had an important place in the work. So we said to Hiromi, okay, I think we need a bit more of that. And she said, okay, great. And she sent us a bit more. And then Emma and I were chatting in the studio. It looked amazing. And we looked at each other and said, oh, I think we need a bit more. <laughs> so we eventually hosted a number of workshops and we had over 100 volunteers from across Townsville come together to knit together. And we ended up knitting over 65 kilometers worth of wool. <laughs> That's a lot of wool. That is a lot All of wool. wool. A lot of wool, all the wool was salvaged or secondhand, so none of it was bought new. It was really important to Hiromi and also Amber and I that the project represented a more sustainable, inclusive, progressive design in the way that we made every element of the show. So we've got this 65 kilometers of wool woven into these beautiful contributions by 100 volunteers from across the region. Hiromi's intention for that and the reason we invited all of the volunteers is not just so that we could have the finger knitting kind of complete in time for the performances, but because every individual set of hands that touches and connects with that wool, they're weaving their stories, they're weaving their own hearts into the project, into the work. And the dancers would say each new batch of wool had a different quality, a different sense, mm. a different energy to it. So Hiromi was absolutely correct in her invitation to invite the contributions of the community, knowing that it would weave something very special above and beyond just the material objects that we had to play within the show. Mm. I think that's so special that for a work that at its core is about community, that the local Townsville community have become the literal fabric of the show. What was the brief for those community members who were part of your, what would you call it, a knitting circle, knitting club? Yeah, it was knitting sittings or the knitting together. <laughs> so really, the, it was just an invitation. We've got such a beautiful connection with our community here. It was an invitation to participate in the set design for the new project. So we put a call out. We let people know that there was this finger knitting involved. 
We had three different sites that we hosted these workshops. There was a late night session that we hosted with a DJ and some snacks and drinks. There was some morning tea sessions with kind of scones and cups of tea outside that we hosted for our community. So we really tried to create opportunities for as many people to participate and connect to the work in that way as possible. And the response was so gorgeous. And it really, it's a very special way to weave people into the creation of a project because as we're knitting, we're having conversations about the concepts and the ideas and people's experience over the last two years, people's experience of connection and community and what really unifies and binds us with one another. So all of those conversations fed it through into the conceptual explorations for the work. And our intention is to host similar gatherings, similar knitting sittings for all future presentations. So we will be hosting a gathering in Brisbane and we're just gradually increasing the volume of wool over the course of this work's touring life. And you said it's already at 65 kilometres worth of knitted installation. There's a fair bit of wool. There's a fair <laughs> bit of wool and it looks so incredible on stage. It's such a beautiful, beautiful element within the work. So who's responsible for popping that in their hand luggage to get it down to Brisbane next month? <laughs> That's a good question. It's coming on a truck. There's a fair bit of it. We're going to load up and ship it on down. I think one of the things that is so fascinating about this work is, as you said, it's a direct response to the loneliness and that anxiety and fear that resulted from the COVID lockdowns, which is a shared experience globally, though with quite different personal experiences for individuals and for cities. And of course, here in Australia, it was Melbourne who had it toughest and in fact was the most locked down city in the world. Wayfinder co-creators, Hiatus Coyote, hail from Melbourne. How has their experience throughout COVID as being part of that Melbourne lockdown permeated the sound world of this show? Yeah, it's a great question. So really, of course, the experience in Melbourne was very different to the experience in Townsville. But the thing that brought us all together was the art. And there was this kind of beacon. It's like Wayfinder, true to its name, really enabled us all to find a way through. And even Hiromi's experience on the Tweed, we began the development in a kind of concentrated way immediately following the floods down in her part of the world. So there was such disruption, such chaos, such heavy impacts on the lives of all of our collaborators that we each found a way to come together. And it was such a reminder of the beautiful possibility of art to heal. And healing is always possible. And art truly does bring us closer to one another. And this project, the process spoke very much to that on a personal level for all of the artists involved. And then from an audience perspective, you feel that. You feel the generosity in each of those collaborators' offerings to the work. You feel that in the way that the performers interact with the set and the stage design. You feel that in the way that the sound permeates the space. And one of our collaborators, Byron Scullin, who's worked with the sound of hiatus to weave it into an overall arc for the project, he designed an element of the show called the sound sculpture. And what that is, is 100 individual pearls or orbs. And each of those orbs is distributed amongst the audience. And they're about 25 centimeters in diameter, these beautiful glowing orbs that each has their own speaker within. So at one moment in the show, an individual person 
sitting anywhere in the audience will have a very unique, personal and intimate experience of the sound. So we may just have one of those speakers on at a particular moment and then they gradually all fill the space and we've got 100 individual components creating this beautiful sonic harmony within the composition. It's an incredibly complex and beautiful piece of sonic architecture. Mm. And then those 100 speakers distributed amongst the audience then interplay with the theatrical system on stage. And what happened in Townsville, we had a preview season of the work and what happened was people of their own accord just began passing these orbs around. So there's this beautiful passive participation, this way that people could connect to the work in a very intimate, very real way, and they shared that journey together. So it's a, you know, sound is such a unifying force, mm. and the way that it's designed and the way that it's implemented into the show enables this very beautiful, rich connection for the audience mm. with the sound world. I think for an audience member, one of the most joyous and exciting things about a Dance North work is exactly as you've described, which is that there's always this very kind of considered approach to the audience experience. There are those moments of surprise and delight that just elevate it beyond the relationship of spectator and performer. And I'm thinking of works like Red, of course, staged at Brisbane Festival last year in a converted warehouse, or Tectonic for Bleach Festival that had, what, 100 exercise balls built into a sandbank at one of the most iconic beaches in the country. One of the things that I think is so interesting with this work is that you're performing on an inflatable stage, an eight by eight metre inflatable stage, which sounds like it creates a whole new number of both challenges and opportunities when using that kind of stage. Where did the decision around that as a potential opportunity stem from? And what has it been like for the dancers on an inflatable stage. So the idea for working with that inflatable stage was born out of red, actually. So in red, the performers perform on an inflatable stage, but it's inflated to its maximum tent security. So it's essentially a hard surface, but we need that inflatable structure for the transparent dome to attach to that we then inflate as part of red. But as we're exploring ideas, we were just kind of mucking around with the red floor and had it half inflated and we realised there's an amazing opportunity here to develop an entirely new choreographic language using the buoyancy in the spring to create this very virtuosic, really athletically kind of demanding and very impressive choreographic language that the dancers occupy so deeply. So we spent quite a long time in the development of Wayfinder navigating and orientating ourselves around what was possible, what was safe, and how we could interact with this surface in new and exciting ways. So Wayfinder sees the floor operate at its maximum kind of tensegrity for the first part of the performance. And then there's a particular moment in the show that we deflate the floor. And from then on, there's an incredible interaction that the dancers have with the space around them. There's so much more height available. We can engage in riskier partnering and opportunities for them to use the bounce as this leverage point to spring off and onto one another, to engage with the set in really, really interesting ways that you could not explore at all if you were performing on a traditional surface. So it's created a wonderful platform for innovation 
and creativity from a choreographic perspective. And it's actually a huge amount of fun. So the dancers have loved extending themselves into this new space that the floor has enabled. We look at that in terms of the almost sounds like a, a superhuman power that is given to the dancers via this piece of technology. What does that mean in terms of how high or big that the dancers are able to jump and bounce as part of this work? It's exponentially more extraordinary. So they can jump you know, three times as high, they can flip and trick and do things that you wouldn't have either the buoyancy and the time in the air to realise if you're on the floor, nor the safety net of landing on this softer structure. So it creates a world in which the fear is minimised and their sense of adventure, sense of virtuosity, sense of potentiality is increased exponentially. So it's a very, very impressive feat to witness these bodies explore the fullness of their physical capacity. And again, that speaks to this idea of just sinking beneath the verbal intellectual, sinking beneath that dominant mode of communication and connection that has oriented our way in the world, particularly in modern Western culture, that the mind, the brain is the the author of our experience, but the body carries so much wisdom. If only we spent more time listening to the body and sinking into the subtleties of our experience as these sensorial beings, but then also the explosive virtuosity and the capacity we have to extend our physical wellness, our physical explorations beyond the constraints of an increasingly sedentary experience, particularly as funneled and felt through the COVID lockdowns. Mm. So we're spending more time in isolation, more time in smaller areas, less time outdoors, less time being with our bodies. So the work is a reminder of that incredible capacity we all have, regardless of ability, but to extend to the edges of our capacity in whatever way that might look and whatever way that may emerge and how important it is to hold on to those qualities of our human beingness. Mm. We touched a little bit on the way in which lockdowns from which this work stemmed were very differently experienced and felt based on where you were. And for us here in Queensland, we were amongst the luckiest, I think, in terms of what we were still able to do. COVID's impact on the arts industry globally is no secret, but Dance North's experience during that time was quite unique. Last year, at the height of the pandemic, Dance North staged six major world premieres and presented 11 seasons of work nationally, including, as we said, Brisbane Festival's hit, Red. How did the company sustain this level of output amidst the pandemic? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was almost like a rallying call for us up here. We did have the incredible good fortune to have much more freedom than many of our friends and colleagues, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, as you mentioned. We've also got lots of family who are living in Melbourne and through conversations with them, it felt like if we don't utilise this as an opportunity first to reflect on why we do what we do and the way that we do it and who we do it with, and secondly, to really step into that opportunity that space and freedom and a lack of restrictions afforded us, then it was a wasted opportunity. So we thought very, very deeply about the way that we could hold one another 
within the company and then hold our community more broadly. And art just screamed at us as the way that we should connect, the way that we should provide opportunities. And in many instances, those opportunities had to be significantly adjusted to honour and recognise the restrictions that we were experiencing up here. But we certainly didn't slow down. We stepped into that place of knowing. We stepped into a space of holding space for our community and continuing to utilise art for its incredibly transformative power. And we lent into that opportunity. And as you say, we developed a huge amount of work in that year. And now we're ready to share that work with the world. Now that borders are opening up and we're far more mobile than we have been for a few years. And it does feel like we're incredibly blessed to be up here. And the only way we could meet that blessing was to create and create and create. Mm. I recall a conversation we had late last year where you said that people often remark that Townsville feels like a very unusual place for one of the world's leading contemporary dance companies to exist, to which you said that for that reason, perhaps it's the most important place for it to exist. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it really feels like, one, arts organisations like Dance North existing in the regions, they're far less common than those operating in metropolitan cities. So regional arts is such an incredibly powerful connector of communities. Townsville has one of the biggest military presences in Australia. It also has a huge amount of interest and investing in mining. Neither of those industries align with a contemporary dance company in any direct way. We have the amazing good fortune of Queensland being the home of both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. We have one of the highest percentages of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the country. You know, there's 60,000 years plus of continual culture being practiced, celebrated. It's very much alive in this city. And it feels as though this city, you know, we've got almost 200,000 people living here. The art scene is incredibly alive and vibrant, but the recognition more broadly, the awareness more broadly, is that Townsville is a central hub for sport. We've got the North Queensland Cowboys. We've got an amazing basketball team here. Children on weekends fill all the sports stadiums around the city and they're packed. And our experience is that people in this city can meet art with a sense of the binary. So it's like, oh, no, I prefer the sport. I'm not into arts. And our response to that is... We can all love both and. We don't need to exist with this kind of hierarchical separation between art and sport. They can entwine and entangle and support and enrich and nourish one another. And particularly with the 2032 Brisbane Olympics on the horizon, we see an amazing opportunity in this city to continue to weave that narrative through our cultural awareness of what Townsville is as an emerging hub of culture and arts and sport and celebration and community. So whilst historically Dance North, you know, we've been here for the last 36 years, people all around the country often respond with, wow, that is a weird place for a contemporary dance company to exist. But we have such a loyal following. We have such important work to do here to continue bringing people together, 
using art to transform, to heal and to connect communities. And it does feel like the most important place in the country for Dance North to exist. Mm. One of the most important things in terms of honouring that commitment to place in Townsville is valuing that local audience above all else. And I know that a big part of what Dance North seeks to do is share the work with a local audience first. And that was certainly the case for Wayfinder, which had a very special preview season in May of this year, ahead of its world premiere at Brisbane Festival. How did the local audience respond to the work? It was actually a response that I've never seen for a contemporary dance show. So there was cheers and applause all the way through the performance. And at the end of the show, the entire audience were up on their feet, just screaming and applauding with such love and generosity. It it felt like I was in a circus show, you know, during a circus performance at the end of an amazing scene, the acrobats do something truly mind-blowing. The audience erupts with wild applause and they're so generous. Contemporary dance doesn't often experience that response. But in the case of Wayfinder, we were so warmly received by the audience up here. We were very, very excited to share it with Townsville audiences as part of that preview season. And the beautiful thing about sharing a work like Wayfinder here in Townsville before it goes anywhere else is that we can weave the response and that feedback from the audience into the world premiere, which is taking place in Brisbane Festival. And the response was absolutely glowing. We know that there are some consolidations that we need to make, read the choreography and a few tweaks to the sound. But overall, as an audience experience, the work was really, really affecting. And you never actually know what an audience will respond with, how they will respond to a performance until you're sitting in that theatre and you have a full audience there. We always invite people from our local community, people connected to the company more intimately to watch kind of showings along the way as we're developing a work. But Amber and I, I mean, we thought we made a good show. We love the work. The dances are extraordinary. Each of the collaborative elements is very thoughtfully woven into this total experience. So we thought it was good, but we didn't know that it was going to affect people in such a profound way until we were sitting with the audience at the end of the first preview performance here in Townsville. And it was just absolutely glowing. We're very excited to continue sharing the work with audiences. And I think people are really hungry for these sorts of experiences. Mm. We need to feel connected to one another. We need to feel an excitement for life. We need to feel as though there is hope and possibility and anchoring ourselves within an experience of the world that is not mediated through news. It's not mediated through isolation and lockdowns and distance, but actually mediated through this thing that brings us into a closer relationship with one another and the world around us. Because we all have a place of belonging and we all operate within this vast kind of global net of interbeing. And I think Wayfinder quite acutely shines the light on the place that we all have to connect and to anchor ourselves within this global sense of humanity. You've teased interest in this work nationally and internationally, and that comes as no surprise when you look at the history of touring for Dance North. Can you divulge what's to come in terms of 
where next after this Brisbane Festival premiere season? Well, I can divulge that the beautiful Louise Bazina has worked very, very hard to invite a number of festival directors and presenters from across the country and around the world to come and attend Wayfinder. So we are already in early conversations with a number of very, very exciting festivals, both in Australia and internationally. And you know I can't tell you who they are, <laughs> but they're there. <laughs> and at this very early stage, things are looking incredibly promising and uh, we're sure to be seeing Wayfinder travelling around Australia and the world from 2024 onwards. Mm. Look, it was worth a try. I, I did expect that you wouldn't be able to divulge, but as my grandmother says, don't ask, don't get. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It's always worth asking the question. <laughs> Kyle, this has been absolutely wonderful. We are so excited to have Dance North back here in Brisbane, Kyle, for yet another Brisbane festival. It is such a privilege to premiere work of this nature at Brisbane Festival and we're so excited to have the team back in town. Brisbane Festival returns to fill the city with three weeks of wonder, delight, humanity and celebration from the 2nd to the 24th of September. For information and tickets, visit brisbanefestival.com.au. 